All right. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Romans. And so turn there, if you would, Romans chapter 1. We are currently moving at a pretty slow pace through our study. But as I mentioned early on, uh, the book of Romans has a lot to say. Paul spends a lot of time dealing with man's sin. Uh, He deals with the inner workings of the gospel. Uh, He touches on things like uh, justification and sanctification, imputed righteousness, uh, the sovereignty of God, and many, many other doctrines. Romans is certainly the most theological book, without question, in the New Testament. And with that being said, we want to make sure that we take as much as we can and not to miss the details that the Lord has given to us in this letter. Uh, if you know me, you know I, I, I find no benefit whatsoever to flying through books of the Bible. I don't believe we should rush through the book of Romans. I don't believe we should rush through any scriptures. Um, and so we want to be able to take whatever we can out of God's word. Now currently, uh, here in our study here in chapter 1, Paul is in the midst of detailing the ugliness of man, the hard-hearted Uh, the rebellious and depraved heart as well as the depraved mind of sinful man. And because of this, as we stated earlier on in in verse 18, he says the wrath of God has fallen upon many people. Now, the good news when we hear things like that, and we'll begin this news once we get to chapter 3. We'll talk a lot about the sinfulness of man. But once we begin to chapter 3, is that God offers forgiveness. This is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. He offers us good news as he will forgive us through the gospel. Despite the wickedness of man, God has offered up his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt if we are willing to repent of those sins, turn in faith and trust in Christ and what certainly what he has done for us on the cross as the redeemer of our souls. That is great news, of course, and we'll be happy to see that once we get through this section and as Paul first wants to talk to them about the sinfulness. Man needs to know they are sinners. Man needs to know they are evil and depraved. Therefore, they understand why they need a savior. Now, to bring us up to speed on where we've been uh, lately, last week we looked at verses 21 through 23, where Paul basically stayed on the same track as verses 18 through 21, and that is on the rebellion of man. Now, even though man's rebellion, as you know, can be applied to pretty much all areas of life, Paul's point of discussion here in that part was his rebellion against God in creation. It had to do with God being the creator, seeing his glory, seeing his hand through creation. When God spoke the heavens and the earth, the universe and all it contains into existence, that visibly made it crystal clear, very key, that visibly through his creation made it crystal clear that God alone had created it. Matter of fact, verse 20 there said, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, he says, through what has been made. The heavens declaring the glory of God is so clear 
that Paul said man is without excuse. It's so clear, it's so blatant, it's so in your face that God created everything, the universe, the mountains, the trees, and on and on. Man is without excuse. You can't stand there and say, well, sheesh, I had no idea. You're without excuse. To look at all this, to look at all of creation and say that there is no God, to say that you don't see his handiwork is really just to snub God and for no other reason than to say, I don't want to believe it. Because some people I read, I quoted from an evolutionist last time, it wasn't because there was so much evidence in evolution, he just flat out said, I don't believe God. I don't believe in a God. Therefore, I believe in evolution. But he starts off with saying, I don't care. I, I don't want to believe in God. See? Matter of fact, verse 21 here said this. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, going here from verses 18 through 20, and then now into verses 21 and following, you continue to see what I call a downgrade, okay? As if man's rebellion, as if it gets even worse. Paul says here, even though they knew God, okay? In other words, he's talking about God's revealing himself to them through creation. That's what he means by they knew God, okay? So even though they knew God, he says they would not give him glory, They would not give him glory for his creation, for his power, what he spoke into existence. Or it says they would not even give thanks to him for the blessings of his creation. And that's simply to say the sun. We're blessed. We're thankful for the sun. We're thankful for the rain, the trees, the flowers, and so forth. We're thankful for the four seasons and all all the different things and so forth. They said, no, I'm not going to give thanks to God for that. And then from there, their their stubbornness digs in its heels because now Paul says in that very same verse, it says their thinking is futile. Their thinking has become futile. The word futile there simply means useless. It means empty. It, it, It amounts to nothing. It's nothingness. That was their thinking. It's nothingness. Plus, he says, their hearts were darkened. These folks are literally on a path to nowhere. Their hearts are darkened. Once someone denies the truth of God, folks, all they have left is a myth, which multiplies, as you know, more and more to falsehood. And now all they have, all they do, all they believe is totally absent from truth. And therefore, it's getting more ingrained in unbelief. But it starts with what God? There is no God. I deny God. I deny that he created all this. Even though he says he made it clear. You don't have any excuses. And so it just continues to be that downgrade. In verse 23, Paul says it is so bad that man will pretty much believe in anything. And by the way, if you watch the news for the last year, you'll probably know that man will pretty much believe in anything. Look what it says. At the end of verse 22, it says, They became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of their knowledge of God leading to their worship of God, mankind, he says here, is so deceived, they turned to man-made idols. Do you see that? Folks, to, to, to see everything in creation and to not see God, but yet to somehow see a, a, a deity in something made from a two-by-four? It's just what Paul said. It's foolishness. He said, you are a fool. And if you remember, that's the same word where we get our word moron or moronic. It's just moronic. You're a fool, he says. Folks, this is the same insanity. I mentioned this last week. It's the same insanity that took place during the Exodus. Okay? God revealed himself in so many ways. The ten plagues that, that he brought upon Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea. Even walking through on dry ground. He provided manna from heaven. He provided the quail. He provided water from a stinking rock. <laughs> and all the other miracles that he did. And it took place in front of their very eyes. And then all of a sudden, Moses goes up on the mountain, and gee, he's taking a little bit too long. And so what are we going to do? We're going to throw our gold into this, pile, uh, this fire. We're going to melt it down, and we're going to form like Play-Doh. We're going we're to form this thing into a golden calf, and we're going to worship it. And he literally looks at him and says, there it is, the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Wh what? It, it wasn't even there five minutes ago. And now you're, you saw, you've seen with your own eyes what took place, all these miracles, and now you just formed this golden calf, and you're going to say, there it is, the, the God that brought you up out of Egypt. And sadly, even Aaron built an altar. And the very next day, says they were offering sacrifices to that so-called God. <laughs> Folks, that is the definition of insanity. And yet this is commonplace throughout history because man just keeps going, doesn't he? Doesn't necessarily get any smarter, does he? The sheer folly in the heart of man hasn't changed. Let me just give you one more from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. He says this. He says, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? even though they're not gods at all. Yet my people, speaking of Israel, yet my people have exchanged their glorious God to worship idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people, he says, have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Boy, what a trade, huh? How bizarre that is. You trade in the, the living God, he calls himself the, the, the glorious fountain of living water for a cistern. It doesn't even hold water. The glorious God for a piece of wood, an idol. And listen, folks, things haven't changed today. 
people just worship their God in other ways. People worship wealth. People worship power. People worship fame. How sad it is, in my mind, how many Christians I see that to a certain degree worship Hollywood, movies, celebrities, entertainment. That's more important than Almighty God for a lot of people. Well, as we continue this morning, we're just going to be looking at verses 24 and 25. And we're going to see that what we have studied so far in verses 18 through 23 has just scratched the surface as to how far man's depravity will go. So read with me those two verses, if you will, verses 24 and 25. He says, Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than their creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Starting here in verse 24 and actually going through verse 32, we have a section uh, known by many as, I mentioned it to Brittany, actually mentioned to me a while ago, the reprobate mind. It's talked about by many as what's called the reprobate mind. You can also call that the debased. It's also translated as depraved mind. And this here is where man seemingly has no boundaries. The, de- the, the, the degree of sin in man just seemingly gets worse and worse. Their consciences are seared. There's no remorse for the depth or for the heinousness of their immorality. It's as if, it's as if they're inviting on themselves the wrath of God that was mentioned earlier there in verse 18. And as we will see in the next few weeks as we go through this, it's going to go from sexual immorality to homosexuality to as, basically as far as a wicked and depraved mind is going to take them. Matter of fact, if you just glance over at, say, verses 28 through 32, verse 29, it says, They have been filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He talks about being gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, uh, senseless, faithless, ruthless. Did you see all that? <laughs> Listen, folks, if all you do is simply read verses 18 through 32, you will see without equivocation that man is inherently evil. Some would just use the term totally depraved. Listen, folks, man is not good by nature. You hear people say that once. Well, I think man is generally good. No, he's not. Man is not good by nature. Matter of fact, later on, as we'll see in Romans chapter 6, naturally, by nature, we are a slave to sin. 
Romans chapter 3, many of you know some scriptures there. It says for all, for everyone, everyone has fallen short of God's glory. How many are righteous? Not many. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. For those of you who, who have had children, you've never once in your life ever taught them to do wrong. You've never once taught your child to disobey, but within one year of its birth, they do it instinctively. As the husband over there shakes his head, yes and yes. Instinctively. They've only been out of the womb for a year. And sadly, hopefully not yours, many will grow up, many will up their game as they get older, as verse 30 here says, they will literally invent ways of doing evil. Just invent it. So now that we know what we're kind of stepping into here, let's begin with verse 24. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 24. He says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So as you can see, as we begin here, um, something that we have discussed uh, many times in the past is that this verse begins with the word, therefore. We know what the word therefore means. It simply means you've got to look back, right? So here, Paul is basing what he says now upon what he just got through talking about in verses 18 through 23. And I'm sure most of you were here for that. But that is this. Even though God had graciously revealed himself to mankind, they simply said, no thanks. No thanks. I don't want anything to do with you. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and make my own God. And put him on the throne. And if I don't do that, shoot, what the heck? I'll just put myself on the throne. Man loves putting himself on the throne, doesn't he? He does. And so with man's continuous rebellion against God, the very first thing Paul says here in verse 24 is, God gave them over. If you want to know how rebellious man is, number one, read the text. Number two, he says, God gave them over. Paul actually states that three separate times between here and verse 32. He says it here in verse 24 as we're dealing with sexual immorality. He'll say it again in verse 26 as we get into homosexuality. And then, of course, in verse 28 when you know man pretty much just goes off the deep end. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that God gave them over? I'm going to read that. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It's just very simple. It says, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desires. God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful hearts desires. God did to man what man had already done to God, and that is simply walk away. It's God basically saying, if this is what you want, if you want me out of the picture, if you want to live your life in outright immorality, fine. Fine. God says, I'll take a hands-off approach. That's where you want to go? Fine. Okay? 
I'm going to allow you to go on this destructive course. When the longer you stay on that road, the worse and worse it will be. The worse result you will have. Everything around you will begin to crumble. Your household, your city, your state, your country. But if that's what you want, fine. God gave them over to these things. God's saying, you will suffer the consequences of your actions, but hey, if you don't want me here, I'll take a hands-off approach. Go for it. See. And so here in verse 24, what did God give them over to? Well, what does he say? He says, he gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, which he says is sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, I'm backing up a little bit. Hebrews 13, verse 4, God says marriage should be honored by all. And listen to this, they're very important. He says, and the marriage bed kept pure. It's very important. You hear that? The marriage bed is to be kept pure. Purity is found in the marriage bed. Okay? We all understand what that means. But let me just start by saying, folks, understand this, because this is part of where I'm going. God created marriage. You know that? God created marriage. You also know who defined? God defined it. Congress did not define marriage. The Supreme Court did not define marriage. God had already defined marriage. Okay? Jesus says in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, and he begins by simply quoting other scripture. It's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he's, Matthew, he's talking to Jews. He says, haven't you read? And of course, for them, it's like, haven't you read the Torah? Haven't you read the book of Genesis? Haven't you read this? He says what? And he quotes, in Je- he quotes Genesis. Jesus says that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And by the way, that's it. That's all he made was male and female, just to throw that in for today's world. He made male and he made female. And then he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. A husband and a wife will come together and the two will become one flesh. God's holy standard for marriage is one man and one woman. Anything outside of that, sexually speaking, is sin. Okay? I mean, right here, Romans 1.24, he calls it a sinful desire. Okay? Whenever you see those words, in, when you're reading your Bibles, when you see the word sexual immorality, or maybe you have an older translation, uses the word fornication. Okay? That's pornos or porneia in the Greek. And that word literally just runs the gamut. And it literally means any sexual activity out of or be, uh, outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage relationship. Okay? And I say this, folks, I say all of that 
to point out that Paul's words here, sexual impurity, right? He hands them over and says, fine, hands off, go for it. You're going to live your life in sexual impurity. It, it means just that. Anything sexual involvement outside of a one-man, one-woman relationship in marriage. That's what he means. That's what it means. I talked about what marriage is and the marriage bed is kept pure. Anything outside of the marriage bed is not. That's why I said the word sexual immorality, fornication, pornos. It just, it's, it's anything sexually outside of that marriage relationship. If there is one way to catch man in his desires, in his lusts, it is sexual. It is sexually. Sinful man does not like what I just explained to you. They don't like it. They don't like God's view of sex or sexual activity. Now understand, God is not against sex. God created sex, right? God created it. But once again, it's between that one man and that one woman in marriage. And so what Paul means here in verse 24, when he uses those words, sexual impurity, once again, is anything. You hear that? Anything outside of that. But here's the problem. The problem is that is what man desires the most of. God says, here it is. Have fun with it. Enjoy it within that marriage relationship. But outside of this, all this, no. But that's what man wants. He wants everything that God says no. He says, yeah, that's what I want. That's how I would like to live. There you find the problem, right? Man wants everything God forbids sexually. They want sexual pleasure any way they can get it. Sex with their boyfriend, sex with their girlfriend. One night stands, flings with flirty coworkers, orgies, pornography. And boy, can you find that today. Pornography. Sexual telephone calls. I remember 900 numbers. You remember that? How about today? Sexting. Great to have the technology on your phone, but they use it for sexting. They desire movies that have nude or scenes in them. Or even going down to the point of they want to see bedroom scenes in television shows. Sadly, television shows will show those today. That's where their mind goes. That's everything God says is a no. That's sinful. That's abhorrent. But that's what I want, is what man says and desires. Listen, folks, outside of the technology we have, you know, we have movies, we have cell phones, and all those kinds of things, nothing has changed in the heart of man since this letter was written. This is 2,000 years old. This is written in the, the middle of the first century. Nothing has changed in the heart of man. Technology has simply made it man's desire for sexual pleasure even worse because now it's more accessible. Now it's just easy to find. It's everywhere. Back in the first century when this was written, which is probably where Paul is going with this, they had temple worship. I don't mean God's 
temple worship. They had temple worship, which was nothing more of an orgy with the temple prostitutes. Here you have fertility cults. They use the word worship. They even use the word worship as a way to pleasure themselves sexually with whomever it may be. That's kind of what was happening in the first century. Gee, honey, I'm going to worship. But that was their mindset. And they try to get away with it. It's worship. And without God's restraining hand, we can see why we are at where we are today. Sexual immorality, adultery, flings. Folks, these are a part of just everyday television shows. Just, you just want to watch a, a television show as entertainment. Somebody is committing adultery. Somebody is having a fling. Somebody is with their coworker. Somebody's, they have to put this stuff in because it sells. People want to see it. They want to get their mind into that. To show you how far we've gone, as it talks about, I mean, you cannot even watch a commercial today. You can't, with, I mean, I've never seen a hamburger advertised the way it is today. Really? You have to show me that to buy the hamburger? You can't go to the beach without being sexualized. Sadly, even this last week, and this happened to me, I'm looking at a conservative website. It's Fox News, actually. I look at a bunch of conservative websites, and I do throw in one liberal one just to get me mad. So I'm looking at Fox News, and over here are all their ads. And they're showing this, this female here, and I think we're all adults, with nothing but pasties. I'm trying to look at the politics, and this is what I get. I could have made that with a spool of thread. That was it. That was just last week when I was looking at the news. But you know what, folks? A depraved and a reprobate mind doesn't care about anything that I just said. Matter of fact, many of them like it. Matter of fact, that's why the advertisement. Because it sells. Sex sells. That's the mind of the sexually impure person that he is speaking about. And of course, we see today the, the effects of that in, in, in broken families, teenage pregnancies and pedophilia, molestation by priests and even youth pastors. It continues, see? All of this, folks, boils down to what Paul calls here in verse 24, the degrading of their bodies with one another. The word degrading simply means to dishonor. It means to suffer shame. Man has resulted in degrading their bodies with one another. This is the outcome of what we just talked about. Everything I just talked about there, that is the outcome. That's what you have chosen to do. All of the promiscuity, all of these sexual lusts that are contrary to God's original intent. Because that's the standard, right? That goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. That's what God talks about sex in marriage. That's God's original intent. Anything outside of that 
You are, you are choosing, he says, to degrade your body. Speaking on this, MacArthur says, the effect of man's rebellious, self-willed impurity was that their bodies might be dishonored. When men seek to glorify their own ways and to satisfy their bodies through shameful indulgences in sexual or even other sins, their bodies, along with their souls, are instead dishonored. When man seeks to elevate himself for his own purposes and by his own standards, he inevitably does the opposite. The way of fallen mankind is always downward, it's never upward. The more he exalts himself, the more he declines. The more he magnifies himself, the more he diminishes. The more he honors himself, the more he becomes dishonored. It's the guy who says kind of how I grew up. It's the guy who says, yeah, I, I, I went to the bar last night and picked up on this chick, brought her home. Three days later, he says, hey, we're having a party. There's more girls coming over. That's okay. My girlfriend's out of town. She doesn't know, so it's all good. And this is how he does things. And so he's bragging it up. And some of the other guys are going, yeah, you're the man. He's thinking he's all that. He's being lifted up by his immorality but yet God says, you are, you are absolutely dishonoring. It's just the opposite. What man thinks he's doing this, yeah, right? Taking his pride another notch. He says, you're dishonoring your body. It's disgraceful, he says. And so the bottom line is this, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This right here, this one line, if you will, says it all. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Right? And by the way, in the Greek, it's the lie. There is the definite article, the, in the Greek. They exchange the truth of God for the lie. That's very specific, right? It's the definite article. What is the lie? What is the lie above all lies? It is simply this, that God is not. The lie of all lies, because that's where it starts with, that God is not. Remember Psalm 14, verse 1? It is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It's never good, folks, when Scripture calls you a fool. The fool says there is no God. And then what happens next? That person places something or someone else in that position of the true God or where he should be. He's not in their life because they don't believe in God. But they fill that empty void with something else. Maybe someone else, right? Worship is therefore transferred from the creator to the created, see? There you have the lie. That's where it all begins. But this, of course, folks, reverts us back to, to verse 20 as well as verse 23, in creation, Almighty God revealed himself. Paul said he is clearly seen. Those are good words. Clearly seen through what has been made. 
That's why he said there is no excuse. It's clear. God has clearly revealed himself. But yet mankind says, no, nah. I refuse to see him. I refuse to see his glory. And then Paul said in verse 23, once again, it is the fool who exchanges the glory of the immortal God for created things. God says, here I am. All of my invisible qualities, he says, are clearly seen in creation. He says, no. And he says, all of God's glory. He says, no. I want it. Whomever or whatever that creation is, is therefore put in God's place. And many times today, it's yourself. I'm the most important. What I think, what I believe, what I want to do, that's it. I am my own God. Isaiah 44, verses 18 through 20. I thought this was a great illustration. He's simply talking about um, wood. (laughs) Talking about wood. I have all this wood, and I'm using it in different ways. But listen to what he says. He says, such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed, and they cannot see. Their minds are shut, and they cannot think. He says, the person who made the idol never, listen, never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. Catch that. He never stops to reflect on this. It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat, and I used the other to bake my bread and to roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot, listen, another good statement, he cannot bring himself to ask this question. Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? He says he just cannot bring himself to that point. Folks, man is so spiritually blind. They're so driven by what is godless, the lie is more desired. He submits himself to the lie. Once again, once you believe there's no God, boy, you're going to follow that. So he, he literally submits himself to the lie. If you refuse to admit even the existence of God, you are now susceptible to Satan himself, which Scripture calls what? The father of lies. He is the man when it comes to lies. But once you deny God's very existence, that's the beginning to just say, I'm following Satan, who's going to continue on that path of lie after lie after lie. And as I mentioned earlier, now you have the downgrade. Man, society, it ain't getting better, folks, as you've probably noticed just in the last few years. Okay? 
when you set aside the truth and you would rather believe a lie, people are open to anything. Anything. How many times have you, maybe, I don't like to watch the world news too much because it's just nothing but garbage. But how many times have you looked at it and you sit there and just shake your head going, what's in the world? Did he just say that? Are you serious? It's not even political. It's just nuts. But man will believe anything. Now here in our text, it might be the idols in verse 23. Or maybe verse 24. Sexual fulfillment can become your God. And for many it has. Listen, folks, as I said a couple of weeks ago, when you start with there is no God, when you deny God's hand in creation, when you think somehow uh, a blob of nothing hit a blob of nothing and now we are where we are today. The squirrel turned to a frog and the frog to a bird and the bird to a bear and so, hey, and here we are today, mankind. Why aren't we looking good? As bizarre as that is, it, they continue. As bizarre as it doesn't matter because they just want nothing to do with God. But when you start there, there is no God, you know this, that means there's no moral standard. Some people want to go that way. If there is no God, there is no moral standard. There is no absolute. That's, part, that's postmodernism. There are no absolutes. So now that there's no moral standard, they're not accountable to anyone. There is no hierarchy. There is no this is wrong. And it just goes downhill from there. Because now there's no moral standards. And who are you to say, that truth may be for you, that truth ain't for me. Who's to say otherwise? There's no God. There's no absolute authority. And that's where we are today, isn't it? Absolutely. No pun intended. But in reality, folks, there is accountability because there is a God. He reigns supreme. He is the creator, despite where people go, despite what some PhD may think. He is the creator, and yes, he is and will be your judge. Despite what people believe, who or whomever their God is, it deserves nothing, because in reality, their God is nothing. It's nothing but a piece of wood, a piece of metal, your TV sex, sexual fulfillment, whatever you have created it to be. It deserves nothing because it is nothing. There is only one God. And therefore, Paul closes verse 25 and he says, it is the creator who is to be forever praised. Nothing else, the creator. That's stating number one, there is one and it is God alone. And it is him who is to be forever praised. Despite man's rebellion, despite their rejection of God and his truth, God's glory remains. That's what we stand on. That's what we hold to because we know it as truth. Every day the world tells us differently. Every website, every news, every newspaper, every place of business, where you go to work, everybody tends to believe, not everybody, everybody, what is totally opposite and bizarre. But that's where we stand because that's what we know to be the truth. The farther we go in this world, 
the more we're called idiots, the more we're called stupid, the more you're called, oh, you're one of those. They want to mock us for simply holding to the truth about the Lord himself. But folks, it's very important we stand firm on that. We stand firm, especially those of you in public education, government education. Sorry. But that's where it's at. But we are the light of the world, as we mentioned earlier. And so please, as we go out into this world, hold fast. And we're going to see this next week as well. Next week we're going to get into a very popular uh, point of view today. As next week as we begin in verse 26, exchanging natural relations with man and woman for man and man and woman and woman, homosexuality. The Bible is clear on that issue as well. Not just sexuality, but, but homosexuality, which is also something else. You know, we are the underdog that you hear in our society. But stand firm on God's word. Stand firm with who he is. doesn't matter who's against you. God is for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can have this study today and we can, we can just begin this, uh, this, this section, if you will, on, on the reprobate mind and, and understanding the rebellion of man, the depravity of man. Lord, for all of us here today, before we knew Christ, Scripture says we were an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Lord, how awesome it is to know that you have pulled us out of this. The people that we're talking about in this text, mankind, Lord, they're not forever lost. They're, your glory is still there. It still remains. Your son's death is still there for them to trust in, to believe in, to pay for their sins if they turn to you. But Lord, we, we live in a time when everything we just looked at, I, I feel like I'm preaching on what, talk, what, what, what went on you know, last week in this world. And yet he's just touching on this issue from 2,000 years ago. And Lord, it's only gotten worse. And of course, you know that it doesn't surprise you because it tells us right here, you gave them over. You let man go the direction that he wants to go. And therefore, we are where we are today. Thank you, Lord, that even though we are living in this world, we don't have to be a part of it. We can stand opposed to it and we can stand on your truth. We can stand confident in Christ, we can stand confident in your word, which is the most important thing. Lord, help us as we walk with Christ every day to be loving to those outside who don't believe in Christ, and even when they oppose us, but Lord, hopefully have enough information from your holy word to be able to share with them the truth. Because people are so lost, Lord, they've denied just your very existence, and then they've just gone from there. Lord, we pray you use your Holy Spirit to empower us, empower those, others, to draw near to Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.